Hello, my name is Taylor Clement, head of school at Kirk Day School. And I'm Maria Massey, the assistant head of school at Kirk Day School. And part of our mission as a school is to nurture, educate, and equip Christian parents as we love uh, our covenant children. And so today we will be talking about a book that our faculty read this summer, The Emotionally Healthy Church by Peter Scazzaro. Uh, why are we talking about this book? Well, number one, I want you to know what our faculty had to read, but number two, I think there's some pretty good principles that we can pull out as we are parenting and, frankly, doing a relationship, and whether it's a school relationship, whether it's just a personal relationship, all within a pandemic. Yeah, it's a great book and refreshing that we have a Christian who approaches emotion from a biblical framework can sometimes be hard to find. Yeah. And so our culture has a lot to say about emotions and what we do with them. And this is a really great resource to think through biblically how do we look at emotion. And what I would say too is this isn't a book that I felt like, and I, well, let me rephrase this. I get intimidated by books like this. Because I, I see it as, here's a mountain, you should climb it and conquer it. And yeah. I'm going, I can't do that. And so a lot of self-help books intimidate me or the you know whatever category you want to put a book like this in. However, when I find those books that are really digestible and really uh, meaningful and impactful, all of a sudden they, they become a, a really strong place of respite for me and I would say this is one of those books. Yeah, I would agree. I have obviously with my career path read many a self-help book and it can often feel like I've failed before I've even started reading the book. Yeah. It can just feel kind of prescriptive. Um, right. And and I tend to just get frustrated and want to throw the book across the room because I'm like, this is not... It doesn't always feel authentic, too, yeah. you know? And he does a really good job, I think, of sharing a lot of pieces of his story in a very humble way. Because there are a lot of authors who can share a story in a non-humble way. Yes. Um, and very, very and true. have read even some Christian authors that, you know, I have felt like you're not really... It doesn't really feel like you're getting to the point in being authentic. So I would agree with you that this is not one of those books. Yeah. So I would say, as we get ready to go into this, I, I'm going to give a background of why I chose this book for our faculty because there's kind of there's there's a good backstory to it. Then what I'd like to do is really talk about kind of three three principles that came out of the book. The the first is integrity. The second is really um, the understanding of you know ministering out of who you are, not what you do, and then the idea of emotional health and spiritual health, and are they are they um, symbiotic or are they something that, that are in somewhat of opposition to one another? And, and we'll, we'll unpack that more. It seems like that's an obvious question, but yeah. uh, or an obvious answer to that question, but there's more there. So the backstory to this is um, a friend of mine, when, when I became head of school and then an elder at the Kirk, gave me this, this is just a shepherding tool saying, you know, um, you should read this for your own self and your own heart, your own emotional and spiritual development. But as you walk with others and as a school we, we walk with a lot of people through different things you probably ought to have this in your back pocket as well and again I looked at the book I even looked at the title of the book the layout I completely judged the book by its cover I want to be clear I did that 
and I love to read. I read all the time. Um, that's that's not an intimidating thing. I can knock books out very quickly. This just isn't a book that I wanted to, to do. And then a parent who uh, has since moved away from St. Louis also recommended this book to me and said that they were reading it at their church and it was just really impactful. So I did what I do with books that I'm not going to completely like dive into and, and read is if I had those like five to 10 minutes of free time in between a meeting or an appointment, something like that, I would crack it open and just see if it was if, if it would stick. And what I found was because of Scazzaro's vulnerability, because of his ability to say God was using me in spite of myself in a lot of these circumstances, but I was burned out. And there were a lot of identifiers to just a 21st century um, person in any type of leadership position. All of a sudden I realized, yeah, there's, there's a lot of truth here. And, and God used him God used this book in, in ways that I was I was really surprised by. Yeah, yeah, he does a, a great job, I think, of balancing personal stories, God's truth, and making it approachable for us. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So the first thing that I would say that he starts with, and I love this, and just in the preface, he has he has a big section that just says lead with integrity, and when we think about a presidential election. When we think about local politics, and then you think about things like um, business practices and the type of media movements that are out today, leading with integrity is not something that is often highlighted. And something that I think about uh, in particular is when someone is blasted by the media, rightfully or wrongfully, then they make an apology. And let's say it's a good 5A apology, right, referencing our our principles of, of um, of what we do with our children here at Kirk Day School, if they do an apology well, there's no media press about it. It's true. They've been they've been blasted. They've been accused. They have been they have been found guilty, and when they have admitted their crime, they've admitted wrongdoing and done that in a godly way. There is no media press. Mm-hmm. If they say and they make a bad apology and they say something to the effect of I didn't mean to do this, then they're blasted again, and so there's a new trial about them. Um, what I like about this is he just starts out with, no, if, you got, if you're going to do anything to become an emotionally healthy church or a ministry or a business, whatever that is, you have to start by leading with integrity. And part of that is he says it is not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. I'm going to read that again because I, I, those of you listening, this this caused somewhat of a healthy debate amongst our faculty. Uh, this has actually been a really great conversation at dinner, but it is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. So, Maria, I'm going to bounce the ball in your court. Comment on, on that phrase. That is, at times, feels against what the church has taught or what thought has been as far as philosophers and that type of thing and so I'm kind of going through you know the history of, of um, how we've processed that as a church and as individuals and how culture has influenced that and then thinking about my own experience and my own story um, you know I remember learning that it was faith fact feeling right and you had that train and um, the feeling came last, right? It was the caboose. It was the thing that 
wasn't acknowledged or as important. And then just thinking about how that interacts with my own family history of emotion, it's like, it feels like it's fitting, but it also feels counter to what I have been taught. It matches my experience, but maybe doesn't match what I've, what I've heard from the outside, you know, kind of world. Um, so yeah, and then obviously my education as a counselor um, has changed that drastically into thinking about what emotional maturity looks like. So it's a lot to, to even digest. Um, well, and when I hear spiritually mature, I hear stoicism. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. And right. not affected by much and not moved or way like, you know, altered by anything that's going on around them. And to some degree, that's true, right? Like, faith-wise, our belief in God. But to try and separate emotion from our spiritual lives, I mean, that's not what the Bible does. Right. So, yeah, there's a lot there, I think, that we can learn from. And I think that is, if I'm honest, I don't even, like, it's hard to walk that line. Yeah. So going to a real life situation that I had was when my dad died yeah. in April. He died suddenly. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my parents lived about eight hours away. My dad was, uh, for all we knew, in great health, and I got a call, and he was gone. And so it was it a was very um, traumatic experience, and, and we had to go through, through a lot, um, particularly in COVID, while the school was still going on, albeit uh, we were remote at that time. And during that time, I definitely thought, okay, I have to be stoic in a lot of ways. Now, I cried, I grieved, and, and, and I know that that's not necessarily what Scripture is going to tell us. Is, but I wanted to also display a spiritual maturity while also displaying an emotional balance, right? Because I'm looking at the word emotion, and I'm like, well, the root is motion. You know, it's, it's there. But to go through that and to try and think, think about it, we, we know, and, and Schizero points this out in his book, we know that Jesus was not, he was not a frozen Messiah, is what is what Scazzaro says. Jesus displayed emotion. We know he displayed anger at the temple. We know that he wept over his friend when he passed away. We know that Jesus um, just had joy as well, and he had frustrations and he had worry. And and when I think about that, and I and I start even rattling it off now, it's so comforting to know. Mm-hmm. That, that my emotion is God-given and not part of my sinful nature. Because that's kind of where I want to go theologically, is to say, when I grieve, when I'm too silly, when I'm whatever, too angry, that's part of me being broken. When, as a matter of fact, that's actually God calling us to who he's created us to be at a lot of times. And I think there's still a balance. Like, I can't just be angry all the time. I can't just be sad all the time. God calls us to, to a right time and place. But within his guidance, we can rest comfortably knowing that God has given us the right emotion and to not over-embellish or even use our emotions to manipulate others. Yeah, and I think, you know, as you were saying that, um, this morning with sixth grade, I was reading Revelation 21 to them. And, you know, it says in there um, at that, you know, the final coming of Christ that there will be no more tears that there will be no more sadness, that there will be, you know, no more um, dying. And and so obviously it's something that God knows we're going to experience. 
And I think a way that we can really grow to understand more of who he has made us to be. And also that like, I mean, Jesus himself has been through those things. So when we're sad, when we're grieving, I mean, he, he experienced those same things. And to me, that's really powerful. Um, the fact that, that God would be present with us in our emotion, that he would himself have experienced those things, um, that draws me to him because I can relate to that. I know what it's like to be sad. I know what it's like to grieve. So in, in ways that deepens my faith and my walk with the Lord, um, which I think, yeah, oftentimes emotions can just feel out of our control. Um, and so if it's out of our control, then it, it must not be good. Right. Yes, yes. And, and that's also, I would say, um, something of an American persona that, we, that we've absorbed either culturally, um, through, through media, yes. But then also, I think, generationally speaking, we, we've absorbed that as well. For sure. Now, I did not prep you for this question, but before we move on to the next topic, let me ask you this. With the question, is it possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature? How do you infuse integrity with that question? How do you infuse integrity with that principle of saying it is not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature? I have somewhat of an answer, but I wanted to put you on the spot. One, because it's fun to toy with employees <laughs> like that as the you know uh, sadistic boss that I am, but more, more importantly, because of your, your perspective as a counselor, where, where is integrity if, if that axiom of not being able to be spiritually mature and emotionally mature at the same time? So I'm a big picture thinker, so stick with me for a minute. When I, when I think about how God created us, he created us for relationships. He created us um, to be in companionship or present like to be present with him and so that's not something that has gone away with the fact that we're broken yeah. and we're fallen um, and so when I think about integrity what really comes to my mind when I think about integrity is the ability to be present with someone and be honest with someone right that's what integrity looks like and I know from personal experience and from professional experience in order to be present with someone, what makes someone feel comfortable is that there's something inside of me that connects and reaches to something inside of you. So if I'm going to be present and have integrity, I have to be willing to go there with my own stuff before I can sit with you or with anybody else and be present and have integrity. So I, I don't see how you do life in the way that God designed us to without those things. So let's go to his examples. And again, this is the, the last thing. Imbalanced spirituality. This is what he says. Here, he gives example. A board member who never says I was wrong or sorry. The children's church leader who constantly criticizes others. The high control small group leader who cannot tolerate different points of view. The 35-year-old husband busily serving the church unaware of his wife's loneliness. 
the worship leader who interprets any suggestion as a personal attack and personal rejection. Every one of those that I just read, it has a list of 10. I just read four or five. And every one of those goes to exactly what you're saying, that there's not, you're not being present with someone. You're really thinking about yourself, and you're not being present with the other person. And frankly, you're not being vulnerable with that person. And so there, there does a lack uh, in integrity there. Yeah. Now, the second, the second precept that he throws out is you minister out of who you are, not what you do. Mm-hmm. Now, he's using a lot of church language, but what I would say is even though that there's the, the emotionally healthy church, what I would say is you could almost say you could rephrase this title of the book to the emotionally healthy business, the emotionally healthy family, the emotionally healthy school. So when I think of this, you lead out of who you are, not what you do. Yeah. Well, and if we think about, um, I mean, we're talking to parents here, right? They're the leaders of their family. Absolutely. Leading their children. Um, Yeah, I think, you know, he says in there that God uses pain to change us, which is really difficult. If I'm really honest, like, that is so hard for me to swallow. And it can also feel like, well... How can I just find a way to avoid pain then? Like, I, you know, because if that, like, that's not a comfortable way to change, surely there's some other way to change, right? Like, we don't have to go through painful experiences to change. Maybe there's some other way. But um, that I, I can say again from personal experience, that's not true. Uh, and so, you know, finding some purpose in those emotions that we have leading out of a spot of, not perfect like I'm not stoic the thing is is that nobody wants to follow someone who is stoic not for an extended period of time at least yeah you know like there's some good to that but I mean think about think about Michael Scott think about the emotions that he has over any given episode like it's kind of all over the place right but that's also some of what makes him lovable right and what makes people attracted to him um, now he's an extreme. It's funny. Example. Well, it's funny you said my other extreme actually it come, comes to Dick Winters from Band of Brothers. Okay. So so I know. Yeah. For for a guy like if you're a guy and you haven't seen Band of Brothers, you, you don't have the man card punched yet. At least in my in my worldview, and I'm happy to lend that to anybody who needs to to see it. But when it comes to that, he was stoic throughout much of his leadership when he was in battle, but when they were not. He displayed and showed a piece of him that, that showed the vulnerability, that showed emotional health. And it, it was really fascinating to, to watch and see that. And I think he's one of the best television characters ever. But he was also a real man, which, which made it uh, all, all the more. But you're right. Like, you don't want somebody that's completely stoic because there's not trust with stoicism. Yes, You exactly. cannot trust stoicism. Yes. And yes. you also cannot identify with stoicism. Our hearts are not allowed to identify Mm-mm. stoicism. Um, you know, you mentioned this, uh, but, but I think when we, when we talk about growing through pain, I think about my most impactful life moments are through pain. Whether whether sometimes they were good, sometimes they were bad, but it goes to Scripture, right? And this is Hebrews 12, verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. I love that. A harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And I think when we look at the the formation and the discipline and thus 
the discipleship that we're trying to formulate with, with children. If we're leaders in our home and we're honestly asking the question, you know, how, how is God getting us to minister out of who we are, not what we do? That's a huge thing. Because we talk about story, we talk about the fact that God has given me my story and, and allowed my story to occur so that I can best parent my children and be a be- the best husband I can be to my wife. And if I'm leading with integrity and showing my vulnerability and being present, I am going to be able to authentically minister or lead out of who I am, not what I do. Yeah. Because it's what we do that's going to get us in trouble, frankly. And that's where we see the falls. And that's where we see, that, like we were talking earlier, the, the media, um, you know, the court of media and, and public opinion. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, it's interesting you brought that verse up because I think we can often misread and misinterpret that verse to say, if we're in pain, then it must be due to our sin um, or, you know, something along those lines. And I think, you know, one of the most impactful things that I learned at Covenant was just how far sin reaches into our life. Um, but I think it's very easy for us to think, okay, I'm, I'm feeling sad or upset or bitter towards someone, and that's because, you know, I've done something wrong. And there may be truth to that. Like, there may be some ways to look at that right. um, that are truthful um, and, and mistakes that we've maybe made that have caused those feelings. But those feelings in and of themselves do not make you sinful right like having anger having frustration those type of things um it's what we do with those feelings that that's usually when the sin happens right Right. and so the idea that if those feelings come that must mean something you know is wrong about us um i think just reframing that and and asking ourselves i'm feeling bitter i'm feeling angry i wonder what that's about you know, being curious with that as opposed to condemning ourselves for it. One, because Christ doesn't condemn us, even in our sin, right? Um, but also because that doesn't lead to um, integrity, to vulnerability. Um, and so being okay with what we're feeling, accepting what we're feeling, and then figuring out what we do with it. I think that's a big a big shift that he talks about. And one, well. another another point that he makes within this ministering or leading out of who you are, not what you do, is he says the overall health of any, says church or ministry here, but again, insert business, school, family, depends primarily on the emotional and spiritual health of its leadership. Yeah. And there's just... And that's, well, that's convicting. That's a yeah. very convicting statement to me. And there's so much about us that when I hear emotional health, I think, okay, that means an absence of emotion. Like, if I'm emotionally healthy, then I don't have emotions. And, like, that is not true at all. Right. Right? Like, that's... And if we think about the people who don't show much emotion, it's really hard to connect with them and trust them and be and feel safe with them. Because yeah. it's so much a part of who God created us to be. And thinking, thinking through just that idea of the emotional and spiritual health of Taylor Clement impacts Kirk Day School mm-hmm. and then impacts my family, that's a scary thing. Yeah, and that's is. a weighty thing. And, and I say that, and I'm saying that it is a very humble way of like, wait, seriously? And, and that's where we know that God is going to meet us and that he has designed us to be who we are in this space and time, to lead in this space and time. 
because he's not going to unequip us for something. He is going to equip us to, to move in that manner. Uh, Sarah McKenzie uh, wrote a book called Teaching from Rest, and she says this, and talking about peace, and, and I think of peace um, being more of saying, all right, can I accept, can I be at peace with who God has made me and my own faults and my own weaknesses to lead something like Kirk Day School, which I take is, is a huge honor. But she says, in fact, unshakable peace is not tied to my success at all. It's tied to faithfulness. And she says, we rest in knowing that if our children grow up to ask us why we did what we did, why we focused on cultivating wonder and curiosity, on learning hard things, why we didn't fill up our days focused on living well and gazing, why we didn't fill up our days, rather, but being focused on living well and gazing on Him, we can answer them with confidence. So what is peace about? It's about having faithfulness in God. Having faithfulness, frankly, that God is doing a work in me, mm-hmm. He's doing a work in you, He's doing a work as us as parents, whatever that may be, to fulfill the mission that the Lord has for Kirk Day School, for your family, for your ministry, your business, whatever that is, that's a humble place to be. Yeah. Yeah. All right. The last the last thing, let's go back to this. Emotional health is not the absence of emotion, but the acceptance of emotion. Yeah. Yeah. So we gotta go back to the spiritual health. Spiritual health and emotional health. Are they the same? How do we how do we make sure that they're in ba- I would say in balance with one another. I wouldn't say they have to be lockstep, but in balance with one another. Definitely. Yeah, because I think about, to the people who maybe I've experienced use emotion to manipulate. I wouldn't say that that's a healthy way to use emotion either, right? Um, you know, I don't think we can talk about that emotional, healthy spirituality unless we address kind of our history with emotion. And he in here um, suggests going through what's called a genogram and this is something that we do in the counseling world but yeah, it's kind of a yeah, three yeah. <laughs> it's a three generational picture of our family and it's not just about okay I have an aunt and a mom and a dad it's about the relationships and the experiences that we have within that family system because our family system definitely gives us the template for relationships for how to do emotion for what we think about god um for what we think about ourselves like and you're talking about a formation of a worldview yes a formation of, yes 100 percent. yeah which part of our mission is to equip our children with a biblical worldview yeah yeah and so the genogram is a tangible visual way to kind of pull out like okay what are the values of the world that i came from And some of those we didn't have control over, right? I didn't have control over my family's value of work. Um, That was something that was given to me that has been incredibly beneficial in my life. And at times has been kind of hard in my life too. So um, it's a really good way to get a better picture of the dynamics in your life. Uh, For me, it was incredibly helpful. Um, to just be able to, to see those steps. It, it names some experiences for me that I didn't have words for. Um, and so when we think, I mean, about doing some, an exercise like that, that can illuminate, okay, this is where I've really seen God work. This is maybe what I've been taught about emotion. 
what do, what do I think God teaches about emotion, that, that kind of thing. So it's super helpful in, in understanding and finding that balance of spiritual health, emotional health. And one of the phrases he, he gives to this, this fight between spiritual and emotional health is he says, my inner world was not in sync with my exterior behavior. And I, I will be honest, th- that's hypocrisy. And I identify really well with that. Oh, 100%. Right? Yeah, I'm like, yeah. yeah, my exterior behavior definitely does not line up. I mean, and, and you know, the easy thing within, within a, the Americana Christendom, we'll call it, is how many times do spouses get in fights on Sunday morning trying to get the kids ready ready for church? And, and Tim Hawkins has a joke. He said, whoever wrote the song, Easy Like Sunday Morning, obviously didn't try to get their kids to church that day. And, you know, you think about it, and you, you're like, man, I'm in a fight, or I'm mad, or I'm angry, and I'm on my way to church. And But then when you get out of that car, and you're looking good, you got your church clothes on, you're smiling, everything's fine until you get back in the car, right? And so that inner world or you know, inner self is not in sync with the exterior behavior. That is not integrity. Mm-hmm. And so how, how, how do we get there? And, and I think that's, that's a really great thing. And, and one of the pieces of scripture that this Cazero um, points to is 1 Corinthians 2, 4 through 5. And he says, My message and my preaching, this is Paul writing, were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. And he said, when he says that it's the Spirit's power and you think about how for us, we're sitting here trying to say we're ministering out of who we are, not what we do. Well, it's got to be the Spirit that does that. Because if I'm ministering out of who I am, frankly, or leading out of who I am, you're going to get a somebody that's insecure you're going to get somebody that that is hurting you're going to get somebody that sometimes doesn't like what you have to say and and sometimes i just want to fight mm-hmm. and i want to fight out of my own insecurity my own lack of self-worth and the spirit's going to win that battle praise the lord that he wins yeah. that battle that's a very very good place to be and that's where going back to that the the phrase i read by sarah mckenzie and as a parent we can rest in that if we're, if we're faithful and, inc- and hope that our faith increases to let God's power do what it needs to do. Because then we can have the integrity to set forth. We can minister out of who we are. And our emotional maturity and spiritual maturity can be in balance with one another so that we can truly glorify God and enjoy Him forever, going to the Westminster Confession of Faith. Yeah, and you know, if we think about those outside behaviors, obviously those are sometimes the things that wound other people, that wound ourselves um, and our relationships. And I always look at those outside behaviors as indicating something that's going on on the inside that we're maybe too afraid, too too ashamed to share. Um, And so while it's really hard to look at those behaviors, oftentimes because they do create shame in us, or maybe they are really, um, they really separate us from God, like being able to even address those outside behaviors and ask, okay, what is it that is going on inside of me? Maybe I'm fearful of, I'm anxious about, I'm angry about, and doing some of that internal world work. I mean, really, I have found changes my outside behavior you know and when I'm able to share with someone that I trust and that I feel safe with what's going on on the inside 
this out, outside behaviors really minimize. They really de-escalate. Um, and I feel more connected to the person that I'm sharing with. Um, because empathy, you know, is what, is what breeds connection. So it's a really great opportunity for us to look at the outside behavior um, and know that, like, Jesus died for that. Hmm. Like, Jesus died for my outside behavior, my anger, my anxiety. He died for that stuff. Um, that's not something I have to be held down to. We're going to stop there. That was good. I, I, like it, it blesses me to, to not only re- be able to revisit this, but just to be able to hear hear that side from the emotion because again I, I, I very much think of stoicism and, and not to completely harbor into that word there there's an aspect there that, that I think it's going to take some breaking and it's going to take some vulnerability to break that and and the vulnerability doesn't have to be you know you know this bloodletting of, of pain but at times it's just trusting that God's going to use something despite maybe the sin of others and I think that is a, is a great place to be. So we'll stop there. Uh, parents, keep keep listening. We appreciate it. We we get the we get the data. We know you're, that you're listening. And if you need more from us, let us know. Uh, we'll pick up next week, uh, talking a little bit more about this, and then also shifting gears into more of the equipping of how we're equipping our students. So uh, we thank you guys. Thank you for your trust. Thank you for helping us with the mission of the school. And we will see you guys soon. <laughs>